Welcome to the Earth's Edge podcast. I'm your host, James McManus. At Earth's Edge, we run guided expeditions with a focus on environmental and cultural sustainability. We created this podcast to share stories from people who have found the outdoors and fallen in love with adventure. Each month, we're giving away one of our summit jackets worth 150 euro. To be in the running, all you need to do is subscribe to our mailing list at earths-edge.com forward slash podcast. There's a link in the show notes. Now for today's guest. You know, you can either stop and sometimes you have to stop or you can just keep on going and you find some strength in yourself that you don't even realize that you might even have. That's something that you can take back to all aspects of life afterwards. That was Mihol Penston. He and I worked together at Earth's Edge HQ from 2016 to 2018. Mihol has a fascinating story, changing careers twice before finding his true passion in life, working as a personal trainer. He also tells me about his trip up Kilimanjaro in 2018, where he suffered greatly to reach the roof of Africa. We start out discussing his early years growing up in Wicklow and being the first of the Penstons to go to university. I had a pretty cool childhood now, in fairness. So there's me and my sister, Mairead, but there's a seven-year age difference between us. So I'm the eldest. So I kind of had seven years on my own before Mairead came around. Probably the parents probably needed that to get over me. But I'd say as a kid growing up, with quite a cool life. We lived out in the countryside. So I was kind of always surrounded by kind of nature. And my grandfather on my father's side had probably a big influence in my life growing up as well which just kind of getting me outdoors and and did you get out in much adventures with your dad and granddad yeah like as as, as a kid like so me me dad's father we always call him pops he was someone that kind of I, I always say really shaped my view on the world and sort of how to treat people and interact with people but he was back in i remember from back in the 80s he was kind of talking about a concept of the internet before he even came around so he was a big dreamer in that sense and he was always kind of talking along the lines of you know what what is this and what is that and loved nature so i'd always be out with him kind of you know he'd be teaching you all different kinds of birds or what this tree is and bits about nature so like i suppose he had a big a big influence in that regards with kind of shaping my my inquisitive nature yeah, excellent. I mean, we're going to get on and talk about your trip with us to Kilimanjaro, but it's it's cool to remember back those, you know, on paper, small adventures, but actually at the, at the age that they were totally epic, you know. Myself and my cousin used to hang out a lot in the, in, in the summer when we were kids and we'd be doing mad adventures and like digging holes and all kinds of stuff like that, <laughs> like just up to no, up to, up to messing and, and this this and that. And yeah. um yeah, it's just a fun time. And what about sport, man? I know you're you're a PT now. Like, were you, were you big into sport growing up? Uh, you know what? I probably, as a kid, I probably wasn't big into fitness at all. You know, I was I was a bit of an overweight kid, believe it or not, up until I was about maybe ten or eleven. So I suppose I got maybe picked on a little bit when I was when I was really young in school. But you know, I, I kind of grew up with with a father who was had the ethos of you know. Don't ever get picked on and, and give them a slap if 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 that's the case. You know, not not that I condone violence, kids, but you know that was the kind of once you sort of give the slap out, that kind of subsided that picking on. But yeah, I never was really kind of big into fitness. Would have played football. Would have played a bit of you know guy. Played a bit of basketball as kid. But yeah, wasn't really sort of 
big into fitness. That only became more of an outlet as I got a little bit older, more so for de-stressing. That's where kind of fitness and exercise first came to the forefront for me. Yeah. What did you study in college and where did you do that? I studied mechanical and manufacturing engineering in, in Trinity. I did four years there, probably back in early 2000s. And yeah, it was great. Loved the kind of, loved the social element of Dublin, probably more so than I did the, the studying part of it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was good times. And Camille, that seems like a like knowing you, like it seems like a, a strange choice because you're such a people person. Like, what made you make that decision to to study manufacturing? Yeah, like I, I suppose that's been that's been a big thing I've kind of struggled with in the early part of my years. It was probably I I, I always say that I, I probably marched to the beat of other people's drums a little bit growing up than kind of really following my own passions. And you know, to no to no one's fault other than my own really. But I grew up in a in a family of kind of electricians, fitters and decorators and, you know, quite a hands-on sort of tradies family on both sides. And I was the first one in my family to kind of go to university, which which would have, which was a big thing for the family. And I suppose I kind of gravitated to that a little bit as well. My father had been an electrician in Trinity. So it was kind of a big deal to him and other people that, you know, Jesus, he's, he's heading off to, to study engineering there. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it's, I find it interesting because I was a bold student in school. Like I was always up to no good. And my uh, brother and older brother and sister are both very academic. Like, so when it kind of came to me doing the leaving cert, like my mother was very worried about me. So she sent me off up to to Lockeray and Galway to go see like a career guidance expert, you know, and she had me fill out this, this uh, 200 question questionnaire and at the end of it, she decided, like, you know, because I was good at practical subjects like uh, yeah. metalwork and woodwork and that. And I was super into the outdoors and all that. And so, do you know what she just recommended I do? Like, well, because you're into practical stuff and you like being outside, you should be a civil engineer because you'd be outside building bridges and stuff. And I was like, ah, here, hang on now. Come on, you know. So, <laughs> but sure, none of us have a clue at that age, man, do we? Really, in fairness. No, not a hope. And you know what? It probably says a lot about the pressures we put on kids as well. Like there's a there's a lot of pressure put on you at like 16, 17, 18 to to be thinking about your future and sort of to invest fully in this kind of one path. And you know, you don't know. You know, you don't know. You haven't been out in the world and seen it yet and got to experience it and really kind of take in what you value and what your priorities are. I think until you really get to that point, it, it's you know, you're you're kind of you're guessing really. Yeah, I think I think culture has changed a lot there. People are moving between careers and stuff. No, yeah. and, and you're a classic example of that. But so, Kamir, you graduated anyway, and then you went to, you started working in, in that sector. What was that like? Do you know what? I, I actually enjoyed it at the start. I sort of, I, I enjoyed the kind of practicality of it. I enjoyed getting out and like, I like problem solving. I've always liked that side of things. I like if there's been faced with a problem and trying to kind of overcome it. So I only kind of did it for about a year and a half before I sort of took off on my first set of travels. So when I came out of college, I worked for just about a year, I think maybe in a manufacturing site in my hometown. And that was a, that was a great kind of 
baptism of fire of being out in the working world and yeah I you know I enjoyed it and then the the opportunity of doing a bit of travel came up you know it was probably the team of my 20s I got drunk one night with my buddy Brian and we booked a flight to New Zealand and a visa and we were heading off a couple of weeks later to, to New Zealand and that was supposed to be for six months and it turned out to be three years in the end wow that that's where travel really and and people and that kind of seeing the world really took over for me then yeah absolutely and then so and were you working in manufacturing out there no you know i did i did plan to go out there and and work but at the same time i was like you know you're you're at the other i i was in the kind of mind frame of saying look at i could be potentially doing this until i'm 65 i might as well go and see a bit of the world and take a bit of a break for it and you know have the piece of paper I've got the qualifications if I want to go back to it I can do it when I'm you know when I get back to Ireland whenever that might be and like as I said I only kind of plans to do it for six months at the start so when I went out it was just to kind of really have the crack uh, no doubt man no better man and uh, <laughs> crack is in fun for any of our American listeners uh, <laughs> I <laughs> uh, come here so then you like so I'm just trying to get the timeline in this so before you started working for Earth's Edge you were working in the UK yeah yeah so like how would that like so yeah I probably did like how did it plan out so I would have done the year at home first of all then we went off it was about three years traveling just under the three year mark for traveling and then I came I came back to Ireland and the economy had kind of gone pear-shaped in Ireland then at that time, whatever that was. When was that sort of late 2000s, perhaps? Um, exactly, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, it would have been around then, wasn't it? And there was nothing going. I remember going to interviews here in Ireland. And sure, like, bearing in mind, I only had the year's experience under the belt at this stage. And, you know, going to these interviews that were like for graduate positions and it was lads that would have like had, you know, 10 years experience. So it was really, really hard to get your foot in the door anywhere. And so I was like, look, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look at something else here, either change up careers or head off. And that was when I started looking into the UK. The, the plan originally was to go over for the Olympics. It was get they were starting all the, the work for was it 2008 Olympics or whenever it was they were over there. I can't remember my dates on that. In but London, yeah. um, the idea was to kind of head over there and see if there was any work on that. And I was applying for roles over in the UK and a role came up in the south of England doing manufacturing engineering. So off I went on another little adventure, I suppose. And I ended up out there maybe for another, must have been nearly seven or eight years. What was that environment like? Because like I can explain to the listeners, like after that period, you did a complete career change and you took on a digital marketing role with Earth's Edge. So what kind of led up to that decision? It, it, it was a strange kind of dynamic, really, because I'd kind of gone from this three years of traveling where you were kind of carefree and sort of living out of a backpack and working a little bit and integrating with the locals in these areas to, you know, fund your next kind of trip to coming back and then getting into this sort of straight, straight laced career or, you know, kind of it was this sort of busy professional work hard, play hard. So it was kind of pride yourself in being the first one in the door and last one out. And it wasn't a sustainable way of really, really, really working. And I, like over time there, I just sort of, I think myself, I started to see a deterioration in myself. And I know it was like over a prolonged period of maybe, 
you know, six to eight years, but like even like getting into bad relationships and bad habits. And, you know, I really started to struggle physically and sort of mentally as it's all sort of started to take its toll a little bit for me. And I even remember leaving one engineering job that was sort of too hectic for me going like, I don't need all this pressure and moving into another role and kind of the love of, of engineering was starting to wear off a little bit at this stage. And the real turning point for me was I had this fellow who was kind of, you had a mentor in on your kind of career path to kind of buddied you up with someone who was more senior in the business. And this was the path that you followed. And I remember looking at him, he was always stressed and every day was like a, like a battle for him. And I was like, geez, that's going to be me someday. That's something to look forward to. And he, he, had, he had a stroke, God love him, in his early 50s. Sure. Fit and healthy fella. And like, I, I think I was only about 30 at this stage. And I remember this was just like a light bulb for me. And I was like, yeah, I, I need, I need to change. You know, I need, something needs to change here because I don't want to go down this route. And then it was just like a kind of a sequence of events over the sort of next 12 to 15 months were kind of like a catalyst of change for me. You know, I, I started looking at what else could I be doing as, as a bit of an outlet. And I knew you know, I was probably still exploring myself at this stage as well, kind of what I wanted to do. And for me, digital marketing was something I started looking at. I was going, this is something that would allow me to kind of see different businesses, allow me to potentially have some freedom to travel. You know, I'm out of kind of hectic kind of deadlines and I could be my my own kind of boss and kind of direct things my own way. And around the same time, I met with Fiona. So me and me and Fiona are a, are a Tinder romance and a Tinder marriage, I suppose, at this stage now. And we yeah, were doing great. that long distance thing. Yeah, that's it. God bless Tinder. Yeah. Um, and we were doing that long distance thing for about a year. And then I hand I had handed in my notice even before I think I had come to join you guys. And Fiona messaged me to say that there was uh there was this company called Arts Edge based in Dublin because I was going to be moving back home to Dublin and they were hiring someone to do their social media and digital marketing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to reach out to these guys and, and, and have a chat with them. And you guys invited me over for, for the interview. And I, I just clicked with you guys straight away. You know, we, it was, it was just this cool little chat about a bit about digital marketing and a lot about kind of adventures. And it's just like, yeah, this, this place is for me. And I think it was probably about three months later in that the turn of the year, I was I was back working with you guys. Yeah, amazing. That thing you were saying there about your mentor being super stressed, like it's great that you notice that, you know, because it's the kind of thing I think when you're in one of these careers that, you know, your family want for you and you're climbing this ladder that, you know, you're so invested in that industry that you can often not see it. You know, you you're just you're in that rut so fair play for you for spotting that randomly enough i was chatting to my dad george you know as a gp um yeah. he did he did he did cancer scare there last year and uh, we were chatting about it like in his own dad like my george doesn't drink or smoke he's a very good mm. lifestyle and he's all his uncles and his dad like they all live to be 90 odd you know like so he's got good genes but i was saying to him like jesus kind of mad that you had got cancer in your in your early 70s and we just were both kind of shooting the breeze like about the fact that you know he he's a gp in a small uh, town and just worked every hour that 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 was sent to him and and you know he's dealing with people who are sick and stress and 
it can definitely have a huge impact. 100% like stress is it's the silent killer really it's you know the, the impact it can have on us is just not just physically but emotionally and mentally it's you know it's something that we definitely have to be be mindful of and you know and, and look to kind of navigate let's take a break there for some quick fire questions what was your first job first job I actually think I had two jobs on the go. I had a, like a, one of those local newspaper jobs where you go put all that litter into people's boxes that they don't want. And then I worked in a supermarket at the same time as well in Arklo. Petits, it was called Stacking the Shelves. I think it's a super value now. That's when you could probably start working when you were about 12 years old. <laughs> yeah, for slave labor, basically. Good man. Yeah, yeah, for two pence. What song is always on your workout playlist? Ooh, uh... I love a bit of rock in the playlist. So maybe something like Rage Against the Machine or Foo Fighters. I have thrown a bit of The Great Showman in there though every now and again just to really mix it up. Very good. What are you reading right now? I actually am better at kind of seeing things and listening to things. So a lot of kind of audio books and, and videos I'd watch. But the best book I've read recently was Atomic Habits by James Clear. If you were stranded on a mountain with one celebrity, who would it be? Bear Grylls would probably be a handy lad to have around. So he'd have a few stories as well. What's your favourite food to eat on a mountain? Jelly babies. What's your favourite piece of kit? Oh, I, I still have my Earth Edge Columbia jacket. That is prized piece of kit, the, the down jacket that. Great, thanks for the plug there, dude. Yeah, join the mailing list as well. <laughs> <laughs> What's your biggest pet peeve when travelling? Cues. I hate queuing. Very impatient. If money wasn't a factor, what would you do all day? I don't know. I'd probably still be doing what I'm doing now. I, I, if I could, as long as I could train and interact with people in some way, that would suit me. Maybe set up like a little PT school or something like that. Maybe teach some PTs. So you're pretty much living the dream as things are. Good man. Yeah, I can't knock it. Describe yourself in three words. Uh, I suppose I'm kind. I think I like to think I'm kind, caring, and I'm driven. So then you came working for me, which obviously, uh, you know, stress-free, never, no, no drama. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but sorry, I was going to ask you, Michal, like obviously your whole family, like, you know, you were the, I, I mean, I, I don't mean to paraphrase here or put words in your mouth, but you were the first guy to go to college. You're doing really well. Like, you know, was it hard for you to break to them to basically say, I'm going to go do an airy, like, you know, in their, maybe in their eyes, like digital marketing, like for a travel company kind of going, Jesus, that's not that stable. Like, was it, was it tough for you to break that to them or how, how did that go? They were like all that money we spent on college fees. <laughs> no, no, they were, uh, they, they were, did you know what my, my family are, they're like everyone, like most people's family, like they're, they're supportive as long as, as long as I'm happy. That's what my, my man always said to me, she goes, as long as you're happy in life, you know, I can't ask for anything else. And that's always been something that I'm very thankful for them of. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, I was like, like, how are people, how are people going to react to this? And like, there's, there's friends and that, and existing friends and old friends that would, would have turned to me that and said like, what are you at? Like, you know, this is, you know, this is a sh- stupid move, leaving like a stable career path to like, I think, I think most people thought I was having like a midlife crisis in my, thir- in my early thirties. Maybe I was, I don't know. But for me, in my eyes, it was something that needed to happen. 
And like there was going to be no talking me down out of that. And you know, it probably it probably sounds maybe a little bit kind of selfish in that regards, but I am a real, real big advocate of the you have to look after yourself before you can look after anyone else. And you know, we're I think we're probably very well, we are criminal as as human beings to sort of let our disregards ourselves on and look after everyone else first. And it's like that whole adage of you know, putting on the putting on the life jacket. You know, you can't you can't help anyone else until you have your own life jacket on first. And you know, I, I really kind of that was something that I totally overlooked for years, but mm. something that I live by now. And not in a selfish way, but I know if I'm in my best place, I'm going to be able to put mm. better energy out into the world and help people in in the better capacity. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's funny the way like um, you're apologetic about it, but I totally agree with you. And I would be apologetic yeah. when I say like, you know, if I want to look after and be kind and be right by everyone who's nearest and dearest to me, I basically have to prioritize myself and make sure I'm all right. But it is, it's weird to say, but it's so true. Like, you know? Yeah, 100%, man. So you then came to work for Earth's Edge Digital Marketing. You know, you became a, a pro at Facebook, Facebook ads and all that kind of stuff. How did you like it's it's a total minefield, man, marketing like it's a complete switch. Like, how did you enjoy that? Oh, man, I like I loved it there. I, not, not just not, not just even the work, but like I just loved the vibe of working with you guys. And, you know, as you say, if, like social media, because it's such a, an evolving ecosystem, like you think you get the handle on one thing and then it's you know, something new comes in or there's new platforms. But I think probably from a social media point of view, like Facebook is something and, and Instagram and all these kind of platforms are the ones that are the kind of the staples out there. You know, you get a lot of other things that come around in the peripheries, but a lot of the work is kind of is done through there. But, you know, I, I love the man. And, and to be fair, I'll always be very thankful to you guys for, for taking me on in the first place because, you know, you were it was it was a place that we could be very open and transparent and you guys were very accommodating to me during my time there to to be able to kind of pursue areas in that I wanted to go after in my life like I remember even when I started there you you sat down with me and you were like going look at obviously you're here to do a job but at the same time want to be able to kind of get you to a place where you can develop and grow in your professional life whether it's here whether it's doing something else and that was for me quite quite refreshing I never kind of had that in any other business before where it allowed you to kind of explore what you wanted to do whether it was there or somewhere else it was always you know you have to give your pound of flesh to this business you're here to do the job and get in and get it done so you know I'll always be grateful for that as well James I guess like one of the things that we've done with everyone that that has worked for us um, or for me I should say is like I send all my staff away on a, on one expedition per year just to because really what we're all about is the people that travel with us their experiences and it's so important for us in the office to stay connected to that especially if we're doing you know organizing 10 15 Kilimanjaro trips in a year that we don't drop the standard. So I think when you go out and see um, people and how transformative it is to see people on one of these expeditions, you can really kind of understand how every little piece of the jigsaw is so important. So you went out to climb Kilimanjaro in, in 2018. How was that experience, man? It was one of the best sort of 10 days, is it, yeah, 10 or 11 days of, of my life. It was unreal. It was a... Uh, 
not just the trip itself, but the, the people that you meet out there from the porters to the guides to even the people that you meet on the trip. It was amazing. I, I, I couldn't recommend it enough. You know, I was quite lucky that I had that bit of insight of the trips from working with you guys. So, you know, probably it killed the nervous, nervousness a bit out of it in, in regards like, oh my God, you're going to go climb this this mountain at the at the top of Africa. But it was just a fantastic experience. It, fantastic and uh, not so fantastic for my own food choices and, and a bit of food poisoning I got on the mountain. But other than that, it was an amazing trip. Yeah, I remember that, man. Tell us about that. You were sick as a dog on that trip. Yeah, it was the it was the first few days. Like I I look back with it as miserable as the having the food poisoning was. It was probably one of most profoundest kind of moments I've had in a long time as well. Like I I I I don't know what it was. I had I probably ate something dodgy along the way before we even headed off up to the mountain. Um, so it was. I remember heading up to the gate on on day one, and I just I wasn't feeling a hundred percent. You know, when you kind of it's something a bit dodgy, and you feel the sweats coming on, and you're like, something's going to happen here. And it just sort of it went it went downhill from there. I remember just uh, spending the first day kind of puking, and I, I was running on fumes really because, like, like I think it was Brian that was on in your earlier podcast. There was saying like you know the importance of managing the basics, right? So getting your sleep right, being well hydrated, getting your food in on board, and these were things that I just wasn't able to do. So for the first two days, I was. I was like running on fumes, but the beauty of, I suppose it, it was you guys having the doctor on the trip and, you know, the guy, the like the guides, the porters and everyone were so, so accommodating throughout. Like, and I kind of, I remember sort of saying to myself at the time, I said, look, if I can come out the other side of this, I'll be grand. You'll be grand because I built it up so much that I wanted to get up to the top of the mountain. And I know it's not the be all and end all. And we say like the journey's, you know, the bread and butter of it. But like in my mind, I'm a devil like that. If I'm like, okay, I'm doing something, I'm getting to the top of it, which can be, I suppose, not always the best mindset to go afterwards. But yeah, like the doctor was, the doctor was great. They gave gave me the little jab one day. I remember coming out of, out of the camp and it was like without being too graphic it was, uh, any end any orifice it could come out it was coming out it was it was yeah it was like oh my god and i was i'd the doctor gave me the the jab and at least that plugged one end so if if anything for the next few hours i was only getting sick yeah. and but like without without that i would have i would have really struggled i think over the trip itself I lost like over a stone. I think it was something like 16 pounds or something like that that I lost just in the space of like burning calories on the mountain and not actually eating for the first two or two or so days. But like, I, I remember it was by probably by the third day on the mountain, um, I managed to hold something down, eat something. And I think it was the day going up the Barranco wall. I woke up and I was like, yeah, I'm good to go. Like this is, and it was just from there on in, I was sort of only getting a little bit stronger going through the trip then because my energy was coming back to me. But I was I was kind of worried would there have been knock-on effects as a result of it. But, you know, it was brilliant having the support team there, having the guides who've seen it all, having the doctors there just gives you that reassurance if if something does go awry that, you know, it, it's all under control. Yeah, it's the doctor, like in a case like yours, is so essential. 
it's going to, I'm actually really interested to see after we come through the pandemic with all our newfound amazing hand hygiene skills, if we're going to have less people running into gastric issues on the mountain. Yeah, you would hope so, wouldn't you? Yeah, definitely, man, because we, we're all we're all uh, well, well-versed in hand sanitizer and hand washing now, which is great. But do you know what's mad as well, man, when yeah. you think about it, like just you were saying it there, I never really thought about it this way. Like, you know, like if you had that kind of gastrointestinal issue in Ireland, you'd be like, all right, I'm taking two days off work and you're you're laid up. But like, you know, you have the ability to keep going, like it's amazing the strength people find on these trips. Like it's just, it's insane, really. It really is. And do you know what? That's, I don't know whether it was you that said this to me or someone said it to me before. Like it might have been maybe even Brian Bates might have said it, but like it is like you're a mountain in front of you is like kind of that, like a metaphor for life, isn't it? Like if you yeah. choose to tackle it, if you choose to tackle it and go at it, you kind of have to do it, you know, but, but what you do get to do is you get to kind of create the environment to support you. But at the end of the day, you're the one that has to put one foot in front of the other and every day won't be perfect. There'll be, you know, there'll be, bad weather you know there might be something going on in the group but ultimately you're the only one that can do it and I think that was kind of when I got to the top and I got when we got to the summit like we were like I I was like I had to go off and just have a little moment to myself even because I was just like I didn't think I would get up it and it was for me it was just like a huge achievement but not just an achievement of doing that mountain it was just like life's going to throw you stuff life's going to hit you hard but you know you can either stop and sometimes you have to stop or you can just keep on going and in my case I was able to persevere but I could have easily just turned around and said nah this ain't for me and like I'm out and I think you find some strength in yourself that you don't even realize that you might even have that's something that you can take back to all aspects of life afterwards Absolutely, yeah. I think you can draw confidence from that. All the sweeter having the the the, the tough uh, first couple of days that you had on the trip, you know. So, come here. You were saying you took a moment there on the top of Killy. I was going to ask you, like, what what's what are the emotions? What are you thinking about there in that period of time? You know, it just kind of hit you like a wave. For for me, it was like so. I was the, the whole way up because I felt so ropey those first few days. You you start that self doubt starts to creep in, and I wasn't I wasn't even really at crazy altitude at this stage you know it was just the sense that okay I'm weak you know the things that I know I should be doing I'm not doing and you know this doesn't bode well so you start doubting yourself and sort of self-doubt is probably the most damaging thing it can kind of eat away at you a little bit and sort of once that kind of we got over those barriers and I was feeling a little bit stronger I suppose it was just that wave of emotion when I got to the top and not just even for what kind of had happened in, over those last few days, but just life in general. You know, when you look back and you're kind of, I think I sort of took stock of a lot of things that had been, I suppose, eaten away at me for for years and, you know, kind of barriers that I had and stuff that I, I hadn't enjoyed in my life and had changed it up. And just to kind of take that moment to take stock and say to yourself, look at it you know, anything is really possible, you know, you, mm. but, but you're the master of your own destiny really. And yeah, that for me was just, it might have, it might have only been like about five or 10 seconds, but for me, it just felt like, like an hour of kind of emotions just ran over me there. And yeah, I remember just having to kind of sort of skulk off into the corner and have a little moment for myself, a little weepy eye and uh, yeah, yeah. Re- reset and go back again. But, but the, the thing is though, there's so many, everyone else, 
at the top of that mountain is going through the same emotions and sort of having those same moments themselves. And it really is quite a powerful thing. It's a moment in your life that you're kind of, it's, there's a pre and post when you summit a big mountain and it kind of defines a specific year as well. But I totally get what you're saying, man. It's, it's amazing. And like, you know, when you have a 10 second moment where, you know, you get a bit of dust or sand in your eye, you know, and (laughs) (laughs) the sinuses start playing up. Yeah, exactly. That's it. But like, you do have this mental flashback, like it's, it's, uh, like I used to do loads of kayaking back in the day when you, you make a mistake and you go upside down in the kayak and you're like, it's for some reason that's the same. You can have this like between yeah. three or four seconds, this huge like flashback of the significant parts of your life. And then you're rolling up and going again. But uh, everybody on the mountain is different and coming in with different things. So Daddy, man, thanks so much for sharing that. Um, while you were working for us, you started developing your own business and then you went on to work full-time in that. Like, what drove that? Another career change again? While I was working with G, I went back and did my personal training qualifications part-time. So fitness was like a real outlet for me for times of stress. So that's kind of where the kind of affinity towards fitness came from. First of all, it was I always found that no matter how bad my day was, I could go do a little bit of exercise and you know, you get those feel good endorphins and everything didn't seem so bad or I would be able to get moments of clarity. And for me, that almost became like a buzz that I was searching for all the time. And then when I was doing that, I was training with in groups and, you know, I'd be in gyms or I'd be out kind of doing little outdoor boot camp things or adventure races. And I just kind of loved helping people or little techniques and just saying, maybe try this, that or the other way. And again, I suppose Fiona has been quite a, a huge driving factor in my life. And, and she said to me, would that not be something you might be interested in doing? And I suppose she said that probably when we first started going out and I was still working over as an engineer in England, but it was always in the back back of my mind. And I said, look, yeah, I, I might go away and do this. And yeah, so then once I got the qualifications, I was still I was still working with you guys and I was working mornings and evenings in the gym and like in fairness to you like this again it comes back to accommodating you I remember you saying to me about you know where where is my true passion you know what do I really want to be doing long term and it was just it was a fantastic simple question but you were so sound about look at if 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 your passion is in fitness and you can see your passions there maybe that's something like for you to pursue and almost almost giving me a little bit of I suppose permission and ownership to to go after that because at the same time I love working with you guys and like every day was a pleasure coming into work so it was kind of I suppose in the back of my mind whether I was letting myself know it or not I was kind of caught between a rock and a hard place and yeah, I went out probably we're only probably two years maybe doing it full time now. So I was working in a commercial gym there in Dublin. And so we're just kind of getting to the place where it was it was getting the kind of a full diary, getting known in that area. And we decided to move out west. We got an opportunity to move out to the west of Ireland. And it was always going to be on the cards moving out to the west of Ireland. You know, we always said that somewhere we'd love to end up because Fiona's from Mayo originally and look, I just love this part of the world. And when the opportunity came up, I said, look, it might, it might have come a few years earlier than we thought it would, but maybe that's a sign. So again, another little adventure. We, we upped and went 
and yeah we've we've kind of been working in a working in a gym studio here still serving our online clients and the online stuff probably came more out of the clients I was serving in Dublin at the time mm. and they were like right you know we how, how can we kind of still stay working with you and I had no I had no idea of kind of online training at that stage so it just it was a new kind of business to try and kind of develop and like lucky lucky enough for me like it's a it's a strange our year this year for a lot of personal trainers with gyms closing and in that regard so I had a kind of established online systems and an online training business that for me it was just easy to kind of plug and play once things did go a little bit of awry but yeah I suppose FM fitness and nutrition now probably started 2017 but like probably going at it properly since 2000 the end of 2018 really yeah um so yeah two years really at it but again it's you know we're, we're growing we're developing it and uh, you know trying to help as many people as possible amazing yeah like i know you were saying there earlier on that you really loved figuring things out in manufacturing and then obviously i know from working with you, you developed a huge passion for digital marketing but for me like just knowing you and and how much of a people person you are and how much you like helping helping people like being a PT and and help people out their nutrition and everything like that just seems like the perfect fit for you you know so congratulations on all the success man fair play to both you and Fiona so just tell us a little about um uh, FM fitness and nutrition like what makes you guys different and what kind of uh, like services you provide for people online FM Fitness and Nutrition, yeah, it, it, the name itself, it's not nothing too inventive. Uh, you know, it's Fiona and me, so Fiona and me all FM. Um, but essentially what we do is we are focused on helping busy professionals and parents, essentially, you know, people that are short on time, but that are looking to improve areas of their health. And I, and I don't mean just that the physical health that we all kind of hone in on, like the, the aesthetically pleasing bodies, it's, you know, the physical aspect, but the psychological aspect, the social, the economical and the intellectual side of things. So really just trying to educate people and empower them as much as possible around fitness, nutrition, activity and recovery, those kind of those main kind of pillars and the underlying foundations behind it all is the behaviors. And that's really where you get the big breakthroughs with people and just trying to bring people away from ditching those fad diets. You know, we've all done them, those like sort of, you know, quick blast or those, you know, magic pills and lotions and potions that are sort of promising you the world, but always letting you down and helping people get into that best shape of their lives, but also letting them bulletproof their self-confidence. And if we can deliver that with, with the people that we're working with, that's a job well done in my eyes. Sorry, off air, you were talking about, you know, that you've really found your your dream job and that you feel like you really love what you're doing. Like, that's definitely the case. Like, can you ever see yourself having another career change again and going on to do something completely different? If you'd asked me 10 years ago, would I be doing this now? I would have laughed at you. So I suppose never say never. But at the same time, I have a, I have a fo- sort of a laser focus. And you know where sometimes you're looking at things and it can be a little bit blurry and you just haven't got your vision or you haven't got clarity on where you're going. Like, I know where I want things to go now. I know that I want to be helping as many people as possible that are in the same boat as I was in originally, feeling that little bit lost, helping them just with their movement, helping them build a bit of strength, but ultimately educating them to be able to do that themselves. And 
for me, that's where my passion is. And now that I found it, it all seems very like, well, Jesus, you know, you should have, how did you not see this years ago? But mm. yeah, I, I, for me, this is, I can't ever see myself doing anything else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how do you like, let's say you meet, you know, like it's, it's fantastic that you have this experience yourself, someone that was like, you know, had a really good job, but you're unhappy, not that healthy. Like how, how do you generally like approach people that are, have a lifestyle and a job that they're, they're not enjoying. And I presume you try and help them out to try and make those changes. How do you go about that? I suppose ultimately the person needs to be in a position that they want to make a change. First of all, you know, I think some of us are, are in the mindset that maybe we want to go a certain way, but we're not 100% ready to kind of align the, the direction we want to go with. But ultimately, the way I would always approach it with potential clients that come to us is really sit down with them and understand their why. And I think even whether if you're working with a coach or doing this yourself, understanding your why. And I don't mean oh, I want to lose a bit of weight, really, really digging down to kind of what your motivation is and you know, losing a bit of weight. Very rarely when, when we dig down with, with people is losing some weight, why they want to do it. It might be, you know, it might be, say, take my example, you know, I was a little bit of an overweight kid and I, like I always say, I'll always be in my mind an overweight kid because in those formative years when you have, you know, people, you know, picking on weight and things like that, that is something that stays with you forever. But then similarly, I have had people that have come to me and they've had health scares in their family. You know, I've had people that have come to us that want to get a little bit stronger because they're caring for people in their family or they just have lost a little bit of confidence along the way. And they're truly inspiring when you start talking to people because, you know, the amount of hurt and pain that is there and and worry and anguish that people have and just getting to the root of that really allows not just the coach to fully help you, but for yourself to fully acknowledge why you're doing something and how important it is for you to do it. So that's always a starting point for me is really getting to understand the person's perspective of it. And then obviously then it's going through the kind of practicalities of it, looking at what their goals are then outside of that, how to really facilitate that from you know, whether it's an activity point of view, whether it's from their nutrition, whether it's recovery. But but like I said there a minute ago, ultimately what underlies it all is people's behaviors. And sometimes they're conscious behaviors to us, sometimes they're unconscious behaviors to us. And that's that's the beauty of having a coach if you're if they're unconscious behaviors to it because you can't often see them yourself or aren't aware of them and i love that i suppose it comes back to the problem solving side of things as well you know being able to to sit with someone and them saying oh i can't see a way around this or around that and that's that's truly where where myself and fiona are in our, are in our bread and butter is to be able to kind of help people work through that it's the best gift that you can i can ever get back gifts probably the wrong word but is to be able to see that transformation in someone yeah absolutely man no i think like it's just such a perfect fit for you because you do, i know i know you love helping people so yeah congratulations on it all like fair play to you man it's absolutely amazing we're in january now Michal, and uh we've all just come through christmas and 
you know, let's say just for argument's sake, one of the listeners is thinking of doing Killy in, in October later this year, and they're, you know, that they're not doing much training. Like I know there's not a one size fits all, but like what kind of training program would you put them? How many hours would you need from them in a week or what would it look like as a, as a general outline? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, and I suppose the, the, the big thing that I often see with people starting off on this is to have this preconceived notion that they have to be super, super fit and, you know, like mountaineers extraordinaire to be able to kind of undertake a, a trip like this. Now, obviously, the fitter you are and the more practice you have towards something, the better you're going to be with it. It's like anything in life. The more practiced you are at something, the, the easier it comes to you. I would say from a training perspective, Try and try and train in a way that's going to be specific to the activity you're doing. So if you're thinking about, you know, going up Kilimanjaro, you know, ideally swimming isn't going to be the best thing for you. You want to be doing something that is, you know, very similar to that to that activity itself. So getting out and actually hiking, you know, you're going to be carrying, you're going to be carrying a little bit of a load in the, on the day pack. So again maybe walking in the hills with that load that is specific to your activity. That is the best way you can train for anything, but do it in a way that is consistent for you. So don't worry about it at the case. If you are, you know, if you're, if you're only able to get out and go for a half an hour walk on the flat at the moment, that might be a big ask for you to be able to undertake something that big. So be patient with yourself and find a method of being consistent with it. And if you do book something, make sure you give yourself enough leeway to get your training to a point that you can build it up because you're going to appreciate the the whole experience a lot more if you're in a fitter and healthier state like if you're thinking about training then itself you know think about the target muscle groups that you you can train so if you're still finding that january is a little bit still doom and gloom for you to be able to get out still a bit dark and you know the weather isn't great and you're just thinking about what can i do in the gym at the moment or training at home think of the muscle groups that you're going to be working so like in the legs building up the glutes especially the quads the hamstrings all those things that really stabilize the hip and the knee your core muscles you know stabilizing all those muscles in your lower back and even your own posture and one thing i do a lot with people and I probably I probably d- didn't appreciate how much I actually did it when I was on Kilimanjaro myself was just getting an awareness of your breathing and uh, just you know your breathing will affect how you hold yourself but your posture as well and you know I even found out on when I was on Kili just the breathing and even being mindful of my breathing helped me especially on that summer night just looking back on it now it was something I actually quite referred to quite a lot was just my breathing it's just something that was almost like a little bit of mindfulness um to keep me in the moment if things were feeling a little bit tougher um and then outside of that like you can do things that you enjoy you know like keep in if you're doing a little bit of cardiovascular work obviously that will be a benefit to you as well do some cardiovascular work that you enjoy and the nice thing about having you guys there at Earth's Edge as well is you essentially have people that have been there and done that and you know it's like if someone was coming to me to try and make a positive impact on their life they're hiring a coach to have that almost at their disposal there where they can reach out to you guys and you have you know really robust information packs you have the training day and those things are invaluable as well and on the trek listen to your guide you know 
don't sort of go gung-ho at it. The guys that are on the mountain have been there and done it a million times. So listen to them and manage those variables when you're on the trek, your sleep, your hydration, your food. Know when to push on, know when to pull back. You know, they're, they're I suppose, the big things for me if I was ever training for something like that again. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny you were talking about there and what I, what I uh, thought of is like this year, man, I've actually started working with... Uh, my physio full time to a return to run program. So start of the year has been very oh, wicked. Yeah, it's been great, man. Like I was doing very little running, just had an issue with my knee. Now I'm up to running about 50 kilometers a week and it's growing all the time. But like the thing for That's me is great. like, yeah, it's great, man. But he's basically dictating to me how much running I can do. Whereas previously, like I'd work on an injury and then I'd go out and do a yeah. 20k run and absolutely wreck my knee. So it's fantastic that he's, you know, controlling my volume, bringing it up slowly. Do you know what I also like about having a coach is that like, not that he's standing over me with a stick or anything, but like, you know, I, I meet up with him for every three or four weeks and I kind of feel like, geez, I better have all the sessions done. You know, I, I like that kind of bit of pressure, but um, yeah, I'd highly recommend it. Well, guys, if any of you are interested in a tailored training program, um, I've included a link to Michal and his lovely wife, Fiona's business, um, FM Fitness and Nutrition, in the show notes, so you can check it out there. So, Michal, thanks a million for coming on, man. Uh, great chatting to you, and say hi to Fiona, and take it easy, dude. That's great, Jim. Thanks so much for having us on, and best of luck with it in the future, man. This podcast was produced by Earth's Edge. We're a small business based in Ireland who organize big adventures all over the world. For more information about us and the trips discussed on this podcast, visit earths-edge.com or follow us on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to our mailing list to be in the running to win one of our summit jackets. There's a link in the show notes. And while you're there, if you could subscribe and review the podcast, that'd be brilliant. I'm your host, James McManus. Thanks for listening and have a super week.